Hey, have you ever had somebody tell you uh, something like this? You just don't get it. You just don't understand. You ever had somebody tell you that? Uh, Maybe it's your kids. If you're a parent, you probably hear that daily, maybe. Um, You just don't get it. You don't understand what it's like to be a kid these days. Uh, Maybe it's a spouse, a boyfriend or a girlfriend uh, that looks at you and says, you know, you just don't don't get it. You don't understand my life. You don't know my situation. Maybe uh, it's a friend who's just gotten done telling you their 15 minutes worth of problems, and you try to offer up some piece of advice that will help them, and they say, you you just don't get it. You don't understand. How many of you have have heard this phrase uh, at some point uh, recently, maybe? How many of you have ever used this phrase? You just don't get it, right? Yeah, most of you. Okay. How many of you need me to repeat the question because you just don't get it? (laughs) In fact, here's what we're going to do right now. Let's just turn to the person next to you and say, you just don't get it. Okay, some of you are having way too much fun with this. I think, I feel like some of you have been waiting for years to say that to the person next to you. Is that true? You just don't get it. Well, we're continuing today in our series called Relatively Speaking. And in this series, we're looking, uh, we're talking about the incredible power of words and the power that words have and how they affect all of our relationships. And what we've been doing is we've been saying that words are very powerful. They're very potent. They, they have the potential to build up or to tear down. Uh, They have the power to bring healing and encouragement. They also have the power to bring pain. The the right words can breathe new life into any relationship. If you have your Bibles with you, open them to John chapter 8. We're going to spend some time there a little bit later. We're not going to start there, but I promise we'll get there. John chapter 8. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one of these laying around you. It's page 7. 46 in this Bible. If you don't own a Bible, just a reminder, you're welcome to take this one with you. We want you to have one so you can be reading along with us. Page 746 in that Bible. Now, in this series, relatively speaking, we're looking at wisdom from the Old Testament book of Proverbs. Well, Steve, why did you have us turn to John if we're looking at Proverbs? I promise you it will all become apparent sometime soon. The Proverbs is so full of all kinds of insight. It's got great wisdom for uh, life, wisdom for money, and certainly wisdom for our relationships. The cool thing about Proverbs is there are all these areas that it touches on that apply to your life. And so if, if you're here, and even if you're not a Christian, you'll find things in Proverbs that you can apply to your life, and it'll make that part of your life better, even if you don't believe the rest of what the Bible said. So it's really cool. It's like bite-sized chunks of wisdom, and you don't have to be a scholar to understand it. It's very plain. It's very straightforward, uh, easy to understand, and easy to apply to your life. And in fact, If you don't have much experience with the Bible, you've probably still heard wisdom from Proverbs. And so let me just, uh, let me just show you what I mean here and test you and see if you guys know. So uh, here are some things from Proverbs. Uh, Above all else, guard your what? Heart, for it's the wellspring of life, right? As iron sharpens iron, right? So one person sharpens another. Or uh, the borrower is slave to the lender, right? And so even if you don't read the Bible very often, you probably know some of the wisdom from Proverbs. Well, last week we looked at a verse from Proverbs 25. It says this, like a city whose walls are broken through is a person who lacks self-control. And we said that one of the most positive, transforming words that you can use in your relationships is the word no. That when you say no to busyness, no to obligation, Uh, no to the less important things. You're saying yes to the things that really matter in your life. You're saying yes to the relationships, to the people that really matter in your life. I had one parent approach me uh, after the service, first service, and say, my daughters are really upset with you because I've been telling them no all week. (laughs) 
and I blamed you. And I said, well, actually, you're the one that's been telling them no, so they should be upset with you. Uh, No can be a positive, transforming word in our relationships in our lives. So today I want to look at another book from, or another phrase from the book of Proverbs that can help transform our relationships. It's the phrase, I understand. In fact, we're just going to do that since you already offended the person next to you by telling them they just don't get it. I want you to turn to them now and say, I understand. I understand. Good. Here's the verse. Proverbs 18.2 says this. Fools, <clears throat> fools find no pleasure in understanding, but delight in their own opinions. See, this is, this is what I love about the book of Proverbs. It's so direct. Right? So in your face, right? Fools find no pleasure in understanding, but delight in airing their own opinions. Direct, straight to the point. Proverbs talks a lot about fools, and it contrasts fools with what they call the wise, what, the, the wise people. Now, what we see in Scripture, what's really emphasized in this verse is this. A fool is someone who has access to wisdom, but chooses not to use it. Right? They have access to wisdom and advice, but they not to use it. Now, I've heard it said like this, that a fool is someone with an open mouth and a closed mind. An open mouth and a closed mind. I love that. This verse says, fool delights in airing their own opinions, blurting out whatever is on his or her mind rather than seeking to understand the viewpoints of others. Now, I know that you don't know anybody like this, right? You don't know any fools that want to air their own opinions. I know that your Facebook feed is not cluttered with people who delight in airing their own opinions, right? But mine is. And maybe you don't have the same friends as I do. But whether it's about politics or your health or business or anything else, you probably know people who delight in airing their own opinions and that uh, will uh, immediately shut down or disregard any opinion that doesn't square with their own. Well, this proverb reminds me of a famous quote by a leadership expert and author Stephen Covey who said this. He said, seek first to understand before seeking to be understood, that we should seek first to understand. The author of Proverbs says that the fool insists on being understood and sees no value in trying to understand others. Now, when you hear that verse, that a fool finds no value in understanding, you probably think of somebody, there's probably somebody or somebody's that comes to mind. And if there are somebody's that comes to mind, you probably know that there are more than one type of fool. Right? There's more than one type of bad listeners. And so let's just uh, go over some of the ways that we can be bad listeners. All right, And you'll probably recognize yourself in here somewhere or probably recognize the person sitting next to you. You can elbow them uh, when your you know, spouse's uh, form of non-understanding comes up or whatever. So first, there's the blabbermouth. Right? The blabbermouth uh, is the person who never stops talking. Uh, You call them on the phone, say, how are you doing? I just saw somebody punch somebody. I'm going to not look that way for a minute. (laughs) Call somebody on the phone, say, how are you doing? And you've got an hour right there, right? The conversation's done. Your part is done. Uh, They go right into it. And heaven forbid you do want to say something because you have to wait for just the right moment to wedge a couple of words in there so they can stop. And they're not listening anyway because they're already going on to what the next thing is. See, my inclination has always been to run from the blabbermouth, to, to, to go away from the blabbermouth. Now, I have to admit, I mean, I, I'm a bit extroverted. I like a good conversation as much as the next guy, but only if it goes two ways, right? If it's a one-way conversation, if it's a monologue, if it's a diatribe, I'm not really in for that kind of thing. 
But when I became a pastor, I started to realize that there are blabbermouths that need to be pastored. There are people who love to just tell their story and go on and on and on. And in most cases, what they really need is just someone to listen to them. And so I've had to develop that skill. I have to tell you, I am not a natural listener. And so I've had to develop that skill. And if I can develop that skill, you can do it too. So there's the blabbermouth. There's also the phone zombie. Uh, the phone zombie is the one who does this, gives you very little eye contact because they're always looking at this thing. You know, when you're having a conversation and they're constantly pulling out their phone and checking it and seeing what time it is or seeing who it is that's texting them or giving them whatever, what, who's that notification from. It's, it's almost like they're saying, I don't know who's on there, but it's got to be better than what's going on up here, right? And so uh, people will try to be polite, and they'll do it like this. And they'll kind of just do one of these, a little glance like that. And like you don't see that happening, right? Or they'll glance under the table at it or whatever. Or sometimes even in, in the way to be polite, uh, you'll see something like, um, hey, uh, I've just, I'm sorry, I've just got to respond to this real quick. But that's not polite. What you're saying is what's happening here is more important than what's happening in front of your face, So then there's the interrupter. Uh, The interrupter, here's how you can tell this is you. When someone else is speaking, if you're looking for the slightest little pause in the conversation so that you can get your point in there, then you may be an interrupter. Sometimes we even cover this up by saying, I don't mean to interrupt, but, and then we interrupt, right? (laughs) Like you might as well say, I don't mean to interrupt, but I have something important to say and you're still talking. And so I'm just going to stick it in there right now. The interrupter. Thanks, Cameron. Oh, okay. Thank you. I will do that. Thanks, Cameron. Stephen. Hello. There I am. Hey, everybody. So we've got the blabbermouth right? The phone zombie, the interrupter. We've also, finally, we've got the problem solver. Uh, I don't have to listen to your whole story because I already know the answer to your problem. Uh, When three minutes ago, when you were telling me this, I knew what you should do. And so now I'm just listening to be polite because when you're done, I'm going to tell you exactly what I would do in your situation. And you better listen to me. You better do it because I already know uh, the answer. Guys, we fall into this category all the time, much more than women, I think. Uh, We love to, we feel like it's our responsibility to solve any problem that anybody comes to us with, ever mentioned in any conversation anywhere. But often what people really want is not to have their problem solved. They want to be understood. Quick problem solver story. Uh, Dr. Ernesto Ciroli is a leading expert on economic development. And he told the story a couple years ago at a TED Talk about his very first economic development project where he went to uh, Zambia in Africa to help uh, some of the native tribes there. And his team comes from Italy to Zambia. They arrive in this beautiful fertile valley, and they realize very quickly that the the tribes that are there, right along the Zambezi River, the tribes that are there aren't growing any agri... They don't have any agriculture. There are no crops growing in the area. And so these people are impoverished. They don't have any food to eat. And so Dr. Ciroli realizes, hey, if we could just teach them how to farm, they would they would be able to eat. And so they bring all these seeds over from Italy, plant them in this beautiful, lush, fertile valley in the Zambezi River, and the plants just take off. They're growing like crazy, and they're producing fruits and vegetables, and there's tomatoes and zucchini and squash. And uh, Dr. Ciroli's like, oh, man, I've got this figured out. These guys are going to love this. And so uh, they get almost to the point where they're ready to harvest. They're almost ready to harvest. And in one night, 
200 hippos come out of the Zambezi River and eat every plant in sight. Completely devastate the entire crop. There is nothing left behind. And Dr. Ciroli goes up to his uh, Zambian guide and says, why didn't you tell me you have a hippo problem? And the guide says, because you never asked. See, he was seeking to be the problem solver. He wasn't seeking to understand another person's point of view. Uh, The problem solver doesn't seek to understand. He wants to air his own opinions. You know, it's kind of funny when we hear our own listening styles in there. It's even funnier when we hear our spouses or our boyfriend, girlfriend, our friends' listening styles in there, and we elbow them, and we go, ha-ha, they're talking about you. He's talking about you right now, you know. But it's not real funny when those listening styles prevent us from developing deep, meaningful relationships. They prevent us from uh, having friendships that are uh, lasting because we're not trying to understand the other person. But there's good news uh, because we can do things that will improve our, improve our ability to listen. See, most of us have the sense of hearing. Hearing is a sense. But many of us don't have the skill of listening. Hearing is a sense. Listening is a skill. And because listening is a skill, we can improve it, right? So let me give you one other type of listener. There's the blabbermouth the phone zombie, the interrupter, the problem solver. There's also the understander. And a wise person seeks to be an understander. Now, the understander is a conscious listener, somebody who's aware of what the other person's trying to say. Uh, uh, The understander tries to empathize and put himself or herself in the other person's shoes. The understander encourages others to talk and ask probing questions uh, to draw out more information. And the understander seeks feedback. And wants to know, how am I doing? How am I doing at listening to you? How am I doing at helping you? The, the art to being an understander is the posture of our hearts. Right? Pro, another verse later in Proverbs 18 says this. It says, uh, Proverbs 18, 15, The heart of the discerning acquires knowledge, for the ears of the wise seek it out. And so if we are to have wise ears and a discerning heart, we can be an understander. The wise person wants to understand, wants to hear the other person's point of view. Uh, Stephen Covey, uh, leadership expert, also says this, most people do not listen with the intent to understand. They listen with the intent to reply. Let me ask you, when you you find yourself in a difficult conversation, what is the posture of your heart? What are you listening with the intent to do? I don't want to play the fool. I bet you don't either. But it takes real intentionality to try to be an understander. Now, it may not surprise you that Jesus always sought to be an understander. Uh, There's one story in the book of John that I think shows this really well. This is where I ask you to turn John 8. Actually, we're going to start with John 7, 53, which is the last verse before John 8. It says, then they all went home. They talking about the disciples. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law of Moses, uh, the law, Moses commands us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Wouldn't you love to know what Jesus is writing right there? At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left. 
with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Now go and leave your life of sin. Now here's what I want you to see. These men who somehow found this woman in the act of adultery, uh, these men were right. According to the law of Moses, they could have stoned this woman to death. They were technically right. Uh, This was the law of the Jewish people. They had every right to kill her. But Jesus wouldn't allow it. Instead, he listened to her accusers, listened to her story, but he sought to understand what was really going on with this woman. He understood that it takes two to tango, that while she may have been to blame, she couldn't have been fully to blame. He, he understands that we all make mistakes and that people need forgiveness. He, he understood that the pull of temptation, you know, as, as much or more than anyone else, Jesus understood what it meant to be tempted because at the very beginning of his ministry, he was tempted for 40 days in the wilderness by the devil himself. He understood how we could all fall into sin. And in this whole crowd, once Jesus said, let any one of you who is without sin cast the first stone, Jesus was the only one left that could have cast that stone. But he didn't. Instead, he looked up from his writing and he said, where, where do they all go? You know, is there no one here to condemn you? And she says, no. And then he says, well, then neither do I condemn you. And, you know, just as an aside, most of us would like that story to end right there. We'd like it to end with Jesus saying, hey, I don't condemn you either. Because in our culture, it's really cool not to condemn people. You know, you just, you do what you want to do. And as long as you don't hurt other people, it's cool. Right? Like, I'll do what I do. I'll live my life. You live your life. I won't bother you. You don't bother me. Jesus never condemned anybody. If we've got a wrong view of Jesus or a bad theology, we might just say, well, Jesus just loved everybody. He never condemned everybody, anybody. And, and uh, that's true. But what does he say next? He says, then neither do I condemn you. Now leave your life of sin. He, he says, you're good this time. But stop doing that. Don't do that anymore. See, understanding doesn't mean we just accept people's bad behavior. Sometimes understanding means we we care enough to confront people. It means we love people enough to confront them in a non-judgmental, non-condemning way. But most of us, unfortunately, have a long way to go in that. But Jesus doesn't just assume. He doesn't just act. He seeks to understand. And by exercising compassion and understanding, Jesus demonstrated that this woman was more important than what she had done wrong. In this case, Jesus refused to condemn this woman for her sin, even though later Jesus would be condemned for our sin. And by the way, when he did that, he declared that you were more important than what you've done wrong, that I am more important than what I've done wrong. The heart of the discerning acquires knowledge, for the ears of the wise seek it out. How can we be more like that? How can we seek to be more understanding? Well, as I mentioned, listening is a skill. And if it's a skill, you can improve it. And so I think there's three things that we can do to to help us become a better listener and a better understander. I put these in your notes if you want to follow along. Uh, Number one is this. We have to remove the barriers. We've got to remove the barriers to understanding. Most of us have a barrier that prevents us from understanding someone else. In, in, In the Pharisees' case, it was the law of Moses. For most of us, that's not the barrier. All right, most of us have a different barrier. If you're, if you're a phone zombie, for instance, 
make a commitment that I'm not going to take this thing out of my pocket uh, while there's a person standing in front of me. You know, I'm not going to bother with this. I'm going to make the commitment that if you're in front of me, what's happening here is more important than what's happening here. And so you can make that commitment. That removes a barrier to communication. Uh, Maybe your barrier to understanding is gossip. That, you know, I hear so much about the situation in my neighborhood or with my coworker or whatever, and I've heard her story from three different people. And so by the time I get around to having a conversation with her, I already know what she's done. I already know what everybody else is saying about it. I already know how to solve her problem. I just have to wait for her to invite me in. But that doesn't really invite understanding. If gossip is your barrier to understanding, you've got to get rid of that. Remove the barrier. Maybe your barrier is you've got too much to do. You know, we talked about that last week. We're such a busy, overscheduled people. Commit to having conversations in a time and a place where you have more time than you think you need to have that conversation and to fully understand. If you want to be an understander, you've got to remove the barriers. Uh, Number two is this, stop interrupting. Interrupting usually happens when we uh, seek to be understood instead of seeking to understand. I mean, doesn't it drive you crazy when you turn on the news and they invite two or three, like, experts to come on and talk about some situation, and by the end of the conversation, they're so busy talking over top of one another that you can't hear what any of them are saying? Like, they're so intent in that two minutes of getting their point across and making sure that they are understood that they're never seeking to understand. It makes it so hard to watch the news or to get, you know, even to form your own opinions because people are just talking at each other and not to each other. Uh, in, in our case, we can get so preoccupied with what we want to say next that we just blurt it out because we're afraid we're going to forget. Like, I've got this brilliant point, but if I let you completely finish your sentence before I say it, I'm going to forget how brilliant it was, and then you'll never get to hear it, and you'll be deprived of my wisdom for the rest of your life. And so I'm just going to just stick it in there right now because you need to hear it, right? We've, we've got to stop interrupting. James, the brother of Jesus says that we should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Does that sound like you? What if I ask your spouse, would that sound like you or your parents? If I ask your parents, would they say, yeah, that's that's what she's like. She's quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. If I asked your best friend who knows you better than anybody else in the whole world, what would they say about you? Quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. Stop interrupting. Number three, we have to ask questions. Questions are a a gateway, right, to help us deepen our understanding. Ask questions like you don't know the answer. Sometimes we, we fail to ask questions because we feel like we already know the answer. Well, I know why he must be doing that because if I were in his shoes, this is why I'd be doing it. Or I know how, he, how she must be feeling because I know if that happened to me, this is how I would feel. So we just don't ask that question. But what if you made it a commitment to be a better understander, to ask questions when somebody comes to you with their problems? In fact, what if you made this commitment that when somebody comes to me with a, a serious conversation, a serious problem, I'm going to ask three questions before I ever say anything to them, before I ever try to give them my opinion or tell them anything. Uh, Questions like, uh, how did that make you feel? What other things have you tried? Who have you talked to about this, and what what do they say? Uh, How can I pray for you? Uh, What can I do to specifically help you? 
You know, questions help us to have wise ears and to develop that skill of listening. Uh, questions also slow us down so we can genuinely say, I understand. The proverb reminds us that transforming relationships happen when we find pleasure in understanding other people's point of views instead of just spouting off our own opinions, seeking first to understand before being understood. You know, one way that God shows his understanding for us is that he sent his only son, Jesus, to come live as a human, to to come walk the earth and experience life as a human being. In fact, Hebrews 4 reminds us that we do not have a high priest, Jesus, who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. He says, let us then approach the throne of God's grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. See, there's no way that we can look at what God gave up for us and think he doesn't understand. You you can't look at what God gave you as a gift, as a sacrifice, and said, you just don't get it. God, you just don't get my life. You don't understand what it's like to live in this situation I'm in now. You don't understand what it's like to have friends like that, to have a wife like that, to have parents like that. God, you don't understand what it's like to be facing these problems that I have in my life. You don't understand what it's like to try to live under the pressure I'm under right now. You can't look at what God gave you and say he doesn't understand. Jesus was tempted like us in every way, yet did not sin. That he came to earth to live as a human and gave up his life for us. God tore his son to shreds for you. You can't say that he doesn't understand. Jesus hung on nails for you. He understands the problems in your life, the the, the temptations you face, the struggles you're going through. And then since Jesus overcame death, he proved that he can overcome any of those obstacles that are facing us. God gave his only son over to death for you so that you could live forever with with him in heaven. Now, with that in mind, one of the best gifts that I think we can give our families, our our friends, our coworkers, our neighbors is the gift of understanding. You know, there aren't many places where people can go and feel fully understood. But shouldn't the church be one? I mean, shouldn't this be the place, you know, where we take that forgiveness that God gave to us, and we turn it around on people in such a forceful way that they can't help but see not judgment and condemnation in the church, but radical love and acceptance and understanding. I mean, what if instead of condemning others for their beliefs, we worked much harder at trying to live out our beliefs? I mean, seriously, shouldn't the place, the church be the place where instead of yelling and making sure that we're understood, we listen carefully to make sure we understand. What a gift that would be. You know, Jesus Christ is the hope of the world. I believe that with all my heart. And, and the, his church, our church, should be the first place people think of when they need hope and understanding. Would you pray with me? God, I'm so thankful for the kind of God that you are, the, the giving God, the, the sacrificing God, that you would send your only son, Jesus, to come and say, I understand. I know what you're going through. I know what you're facing in life. Here's my gift to you. Here's my sacrifice for you. And that, God, that you're not a, 
a distant God who looks down on us and says, well, good luck with that. But that you're a caring God that gives us wisdom through Scripture and gives us access through prayer and uh, lets us have a relationship with you through Jesus. God, I'm so thankful for your word and the way that it builds us up and encourages us and the way that it comforts us. I'm thankful for your Holy Spirit that guides us and leads us. Lord, as we go our way this week, would you help us to remember your words to us? Would you help us to be better understanders? Would you help us to try to uh, put ourselves in other people's shoes and hear the problems that they're facing and to represent you and to represent the church well, to be people, a people who will stand for you and show your love and acceptance and forgiveness wherever we go. God, we need you to do that. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, I'm so thankful that you guys decided to join us today. Uh, Next week, we're going to continue in our series called Relatively Speaking. Uh, We hope to see you back then. If you're going to stay for Intro to Genesis, we'll meet in about 10 minutes out in the cafe out there. Uh, Go grab your kids, and we'll put them back in child care for you. And uh, then we'll meet you out there and have lunch together. Otherwise, have a great week, everybody, and we'll see you next Sunday.